Hi, I'm Ellen Newhouse, and welcome to Heart and Soul. Are you ready to live a soulfully inspired life? If you are ready to dive deep, get seriously honest with yourself, and learn to trust your deep wisdom, then this is the place for you. I'll be sharing unfiltered stories from my own life and those of many other courageous, creative entrepreneurs and transformational leaders who have dug deep inside themselves to heal, honor their amazing wisdom, and dare to take inspired action. No more sitting by the sidelines wishing for a more satisfying life. It's time for you to become the person you have always dreamed of being. Have a career and a life you love. Join us each week to be spiritually uplifted and inspired into action. And oh yes, I'll be giving you homework to get you moving closer to your dreams. Welcome back to Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Ellen Newhouse. And before I get started, I want to remind you to go on up to my website at ellennewhouse.com and grab your free sound healing gift. Today, we have Liz Bensley with us, who has written for the New York Times, the International Herald Tribune, El Decor, and the Santa Fean, among others. She's been an arts journalist for several years and also a single mom of two boys, both of which informed her novel. In her exceptional debut novel, The Glimpse, Liz Bensley paints an incredibly moving and emotionally engaging story of an artist who was struggling to find her way. A sophisticated, unsentimental, and beautifully written story of art, empowerment, and the bonds of maternal love. The Glimpse has been awarded the Independent Press Distinguished Fiction, the Literal Lion Gold Award, and the Ippy Silver Award for Best Regional Fiction. Liz currently lives in Santa Cruz with her sculptor husband. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good, Ellen. How are you? I am good. Well, after reading this book, I have so many questions. What inspired you to write this? Oh, boy. Many little prods. I think one of the things I was very interested in is, of course, writing about artists because I've been writing about artists and I love the abstract expressionist period in particular, which is where I set this novel. Mm -hmm. But I was also very interested in what happens to somebody who's a rising star in the beginning of a movement and is just going to explode onto the scene and then disappears and mm. what happens to that person. And that's really the story of what I've pursued. Mm. Well, it's interesting because I, I look at the, the book sort of in two very different ways. Yes, it's about an artist, but also about a woman and even though it's set in the 1950s, I thought, my God, this applies, unfortunately, today, you know, because the beginning statement that caught my attention was that when her lover says, this is so good, you wouldn't know it was done by a woman. Right. And I thought, 
has so little changed for women. You know, it's like we seem to have come far. And then in this moment in 2022, I feel that so many of the advances that have been made could be reduced to that one sentence. We are propelling backwards, that's for sure. I mean, that was a direct quote from Hans Hoffman about the painting of Jackson Pollock's wife, Lee Krasner. Oh, it really um, was. And he did oh. say that. He said that about Lee Krasner's work. So it, it really stuck out to me too. Yes, it was, especially in the time of the abstract expressionist era, it was the kiss of death's year to career to have a child. And that was just given. Nobody questioned it. But it's really, I interviewed quite a few young women artists today for an article I was writing. And it, it's really true still today. I mean, 80% of collections in museums are men, wow. are composed of the work of men. And it's still a lot of galleries. You know, it's still, it's just becoming a place for women. This year's Venice Biennale is mostly women, which is amazing. But there's still this fear, particularly women who get pregnant. I know a few artists just said they didn't want to tell their gallerists when they got pregnant because they, wow. they knew that would hurt their career or put them on the back burner. So, yep, we're wow. still fighting this. We're still fighting this. And the fight's going to get even bigger as we approach 2024, because mm -hmm. the big issue of the day currently is about women and their bodies. women's rights and women's Absolutely. place in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you went through this, were there personal issues that you wanted or felt compelled to work through in this body of work? Or did you not start there? And did it just naturally bring you into issues with, say, your own life as a woman, as an artist, as a mother? And as a daughter? A bit of a combo plate, actually. I think my mother had a lot of mental illness, mm -hmm. and Liza, my protagonist, suffers from depression, understandably, in her life. So in the beginning, I wanted to write about trying to deal with a mother who was, I don't want to say crazy, but let's say not, not normal, whatever normal is. There was that. And there was also the story of being a single mom, really, and trying to have a creative life when you have two children to raise or one child to raise. Hmm. And that's, I remember thinking, boy, all the abstract expressionist men had women in their lives to do everything. And they could just hmm. go to the studio and paint all day and then go out to the Cedar Ball and talk about art and whatever else all night. And women just did everything, including managed their careers. Many, exactly. many yeah. actually, they could not have had the careers they had if they didn't have women in their lives. And I think for women, women still, and even now, though men do a lot and pick up a lot around the house, women mm -hmm. still are in the driver's seat. They're the control towers. So that I remember working on this book and taking my kids to school and thinking, great, I have until three, and then I've got to pick up one and take them to soccer and pick up the other one and do this. So there's always that tug in my mind of you can drop into your fictional world, but mm -hmm. you can't totally disappear because I've got to remember to come out and deal with my life. And I think women are much more susceptible to that. They're the ones that need to worry about what's for dinner or what happens with the kids, or even if they don't have kids, they're sort of the, the rulers of the house still. Right. right. And I wish women would really 
take that on though in the power of knowing the amount of power that they have. And, you know, they do all the doing, but they still don't see like how extremely powerful they are. Right. And, you know, in order to get this kind of this unbelievably beautifully written book done, you know, the amount of concentration that it takes, the amount of power, really, you know, it's like, it's such a powerful book. As I read it, I thought, wow, I think so many women need to read this book because I found it extremely empowering for where the characters go. You know, in the middle, I wasn't sure. I was very concerned. I was like, oh no, is this going to go very badly for Liza? And I don't want to give it away because I want people to actually go and read it. But at the end, I was extremely pleased. And, but not so much for the outer outcome, but the inner outcome. Right. Now, have you ever painted yourself? No. No, oh my I do, God. I do photography, but I'm scared of painting. <laughs> Isn't that wow, funny? Wow, that is amazing because I wondered the whole way through if you had been a painter because it's so visual, you know, and I want to see her paintings. So don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've seen them, but I literally want her to have a show. You know, it was so rich for me that I was like, and you know, I, I think we would probably all imagine something a little bit different, but it's so visceral. I'm amazed that you could do that and never have painted. Well, I, I've interviewed so many artists and I look at art all the time. So that's really helpful, obviously. Mm. And I would love to imagine what I could paint if I would try. And it might be fun to try one day. I don't know. I used to do a lot of drawing and I've done a lot of art, but I'm not I, that like that. Not yet. I would, I think after reading this, I think you should paint. Yeah. I, mean, I think it would be would be fun. It'd be fun to try. Yeah. 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 So as you went through this, did you evolve as a person? I definitely evolved as a writer. Mm -hmm. I think learning to, I had been a journalist forever before I started this and journalism and writing journalism and fiction is like rock climbing and playing rugby. I mean, two completely different sports. And it took me a long time to get into a fictive voice, so to speak. Because hmm. in journalism, everything's about what you're writing about outside. Most people don't put themselves in it unless you're doing very creative journalism. Mm-hmm. But writing fiction, you do bring a lot of emotionality into it. And so that was interesting to try. So did I grow as a person? I think just sticking to this thing for so long is, was mm-hmm. a lot. And I think it was sort of, I took a lot from the Dr. Toro advice of, Writing a novel is like driving home in the dark with your headlights on. You can't see very far ahead, but if you keep going, you'll get there. And I used to sit down every day and go, just write a scene. Don't worry about where it's going at this point. Just write the scene and otherwise you'll get derailed if you think of the enormity of what you have to try to do. Right. Because if you had really seen what this was going to become, I would think it would be enormous pressure to try to see it in its totality. I like that. One scene at a time. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could apply that in life, you know, one scene at a time. You know, if we could just say, okay, today I am living this one scene. Well, I think you have the moment now. That's all we have. And that's all we have to count on. So make the most of it. 
though that is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason why I ask that is I have a suspicion that as we feel the end is that the fullest expression of ourselves is through our creativity. Mm-hmm. Wherever that may lead us, whether it's you actually write a book or you write a song or you write a screenplay, I think as I work with people in healing, I feel that the creative spirit, as we undo the layers that of the wounds that we come in with and that we acquire, you know, it's like underneath all of that material is just this incredible incredible creative well that's just awaiting all of us to use in whatever way you know we are drawn to so as you went through this did you feel an intersection between your own healing and your art yes I think so I definitely had a healing in terms of really coming to appreciate my mother yeah. And our relationship. That was really tantamount to writing this, I think. And I think, yes, healing and gaining a level of self-confidence by actually finishing such an enormous project was huge. Mm. So yes, I would so, say. So in the story, there is such a rich and complicated relationship between the mother and the daughter. And in the middle of the book, I was very much siding with the daughter. And I thought, yes, she is a horrible mother. She's right, you know, absolutely right to feel everything she's feeling. And yet I stopped myself several times because I thought, is that enculturated into us? You know, we expect so much out of women as mothers, even the word mother. It's like so charged in a way that I don't find the word father. You know, yes, we expect things out of our fathers, but not nearly to the degree that this word mother, it's almost like you're expected to be saint on top of being a human being. And I loved that you were able to make me dislike the mother so much, you know, that, because it allowed me to question it. And so as you were going through it, did you ever worry that you were, you know, painting this picture of the mother yet again in a way that we can't resolve it, even though by the end I was in tears over the mother in such a healing way? But were you at all concerned about how the mother was would be portrayed? Oh, yeah. And I hope you didn't dislike her too much because the point was maybe not to like her, but to appreciate her and to appreciate who she was in light of the struggle that her life basically was. Writing about, you know, it was very easy to create a two-dimensional character that yes. writes itself. A three-dimensional okay. character is clearly a lot more work to make them really whole and I mean, most of the rewrites were the mother because I wanted to make her likable. I didn't want her to be a terrible mother. She needed to also be successful as a mother in her strange yes. way, even though she makes a lot of mistakes, obviously. Don't we all, whether we yes, have yes. <laughs> creative problems or not, it's just really, it's the hardest job imaginable. But, you know, to make her, okay, she was not tough enough because she had to be really tough to be dealing with this very patriarchal world of the yes. art world at that point. 
even more so than I think it is today. It was brutally male dominated back then. She had to be really tough and aggressive. So then I'd write her and she'd be too bitchy or she'd be too mean spirited or tough. And then I'd write her and soften her up and she'd be too much of a wuss. So then it was like, where do I get her like right where I want her to? And that that was a tremendous amount of work to be at least appreciable. Yes. But it was fascinating because what I thought you accomplished was that while I disliked her at moments, her reaction to people's comments, it was, you could see the sensitivity in her. It's like, you know, then I was like, oh, the daughter doesn't understand. She doesn't have a full insight into how this woman is dealing in this world. And so, but it was interesting for me because I had a difficult mother. And and so I could easily put myself into Rouge's, you know, shoes. And, and it was also, it was complicated by the fact that Rouge actually was very proud of her. I mean, she was this big wheel professor at a local college. The students adored her. Mm -hmm. So Rouge was this little princess because they had put her mother on such a pedestal. So so she cut out a lot out of Liza's abilities and reputations too. So it's a real mix of having a mother for whom in many ways you were the mother because they were so busy trying to do their work and her, the roles were reversed. And yet yes. someone who she also admires and then someone who pisses her off a lot. So it was a mix. Yes. And, and I think that's true of, of women who have very successful mothers who aren't really there for them. I think that is a sort of tension between being really proud of your mother and also resenting the fact that she's not home, just being your mother and giving you all the attention. Yes. And emotionally, you know, when you have to be somebody's mother, when you're the daughter, I think that also creates an enormous amount of tension. Right. Um, But the longing that I eventually could see in her mother's love was so tender and completely overtook my heart. I was like, and then when she finally finds the paintings that Liza has done of her, it's just heart-wrenching. Mm. I mean, you know, it, I mean, you got me 100% because I was worried all the way through. I was like, how is this going to work out? You know, and I didn't want an easy ending. I kept thinking, no, it's, this is a complicated relationship. I will be so curious as to how it ends. So do you think that the mother-daughter relationship is so complicated because it doesn't live in a vacuum? You know, it lives within a culture and what we do in our culture about mothers and daughters. That's a very interesting question. I think it's complicated by the fact that women, and I used to say this when I was little and thinking about my mother's kind of mental illness and thinking women are three people. They're a mother, a wife, and their own person. And I think those three identities are often in conflict with one another. So I don't know if in in vacuum, whether you have that, definitely within culture, I think you have that. And I think it's also even particularly more confusing now than it was in the fifties because women are supposed to have careers, but yet they're also driven to be mothers. And I think there's still that tug between how much do I devote to my career so I get ahead? 
And how much I, do I give up to be a mother for my child? And where do I find balance in the two? And when, where is enough? Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing for women. I think it's like, when is enough? And when is enough good enough or really for women, quite frankly, excellent enough? Because I think yes. most of us want to do everything the best we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And when we're being split apart. So, yeah, I think women have definitely have a tougher time because there's those very different roles that pull on us. So towards the end of the book, Liza is in her studio in the barn and she's thinking about setting everything afire. And and thinking about, I mean, she goes into a detail about even how the fire will burn all of this. And do you think, because as I, I was like, no, don't do it. Do not do that. But as I looked at it, you know, fire has such a symbol of, of rage and anger, but yet of power. And in that moment, she is gaining, well, she had already gained insight, but there's this enormous surge of clarity that comes over her. Was there any thought, did you play with the idea of fire or was it just, where did that all come from? What were you playing with? It was definitely an impulse to just burn your life and have no memory of it, just to lose everything. And, Mm -hmm. but also, I mean, fire is rage for sure, but it's also renewal. We hear this a lot now. I live in California, so of course our state is burning up and you live in California too. But you hear about a lot of the native people that dealt with controlled burns. They would burn a lot because that would renew the forest. That was the whole point of fires for them was a rebirth Mm -hmm. and renewal. So when you think about it in the book, when she's thinking of burning all her old work, what comes out of that is even though she doesn't, but she certainly entertains the notion but what comes out of it is this new way of seeing and painting that almost symbolically she's left old things behind that have sucked her down or pulled her under or kept her from finding her voice, finding her, what was the word de Kooning used? Your voice. I think seeing your voice in the painting. And what I loved was the question that she asked during that is, what was I, after all these years, what was I seeking? What was I after? And for all of you women who are listening to this, if for no other reason than that, than to get to that question, I would read this book because when Liza gets to that question, it stopped me because so much of my life, you know, I've been moving ahead, moving ahead. And then there is that question. For what are we doing this? What is the goal at the core of all of this? Yeah, yeah. And what, and I think for a lot of women, what am I after? It's what am I doing? I think we're doing a couple of different things. It's not Mm -hmm. just one thing. And what is the purpose of life? I mean, I think it invites the bigger question that we all face is why are we here and what's our purpose? So, yeah, that's kind of a universal one, I think. Yeah, yeah. And as I finished it, and I don't want to give away, I mean, I'm giving so much away, but towards the end of it, it felt like she had finally found home within herself. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, as I read it, as you, the writer, did you feel by the end of the book that you had embodied more 
of yourself and had you come home in a new way to yourself? Oh, definitely. Hmm. Definitely. As I say, finishing the book and, and in some ways, Liza's journey mirrors my own in trying to write the book as I spent years trying to, I mean, even though I had the story and I was really fine tuning to the nth degree, Mm -hmm. there was this, the longevity of the actual act of writing this Mm. was this place where Liza had stuck with her career for long enough. She never gave up, Mm -hmm. even though there were moments when she wanted to just throw it all into a fire, but she just kept going. And I think that resolution was so important. And yeah, so. Wow. So are you now on to another adventure? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> a completely different story. Yeah. Really? Very different. It's actually a comedy, a very, oh. a very irreverent comedy. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's based on my husband's childhood. Oh my. He was born to a Greenwich blue blood corporate family and given up at birth for adoption. His mother was 17 when she got pregnant and had no desire to be saddled with a child and lose her freedom. So she gave him up for his adoption and he was adopted by Christian fundamentalist hillbillies. And the book is really just about how he survives his childhood. Oh, which he survives gloriously, but in ways that you can't even imagine. So. Oh my goodness. So this will be a wonderful read. Wow. That sounds, the dichotomy, does he eventually meet his original family? Well, he does. He never meets his mother. He communicates with her, but she doesn't want to meet him. And she basically died an alcoholic. And, you know, I think she abandoned two other children from other marriages to drink and play golf. So she probably bore a tremendous amount of guilt in, I think, underneath it all and giving children up and probably didn't want to confront them. Um, But he did meet his real father. And that was a really happy chapter at the end of his father's life because he didn't know about the pregnancy. Oh, my goodness. So he finds out at 83 that he actually has a son. And it's a bit (laughs) mind-blowing, shall we say. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to read this. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's so nice from this book, which was so rich but intense, to go to comedy must be a relief. Is it? it, Is it? feeling lighter in your being? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I almost feel like, I don't know who's writing this book, but I'm just going with it. But I'm also a Gemini. So it's really nice to have completely different projects. Otherwise, I think doing the same kind of thing over and over again would be way too boring. Yes, especially for a Gemini. So for anybody who wants to write, who may have younger children, how old were your boys when you wrote this book? When I started it, they were nine and 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And today they're how old? Oh my gosh. Do I have to say? <laughs> 30, 36 and 34. 30 and 37, 34. Yes. So it was a very long, long process. I have a day job. So I really only had the summers. I work in a school. So I really only had the summers to really write. So that's why it took so long, I think. This next one's going to be come out a lot faster. Yeah. And you were developing incredibly rich characters. I mean, incredibly, mm-hmm. like when I read this book, I wondered how much of this had to do with your childhood. You know, did you grow up in these areas? And it was so rich. And like I said to you before we got started, the paintings were so rich that I would love to see them in a show. And I'm amazed that you have never painted because it was so visceral in the book. So for 
people or especially women who have younger children who really are like so called to write, what would you tell them? You know, if they have very little time, but they have this big calling to write, what would you say? Well, I think for any woman in a creative field, and particularly when you have young children, it's this notion that you can do it all. You just maybe can't do it all at the same time, Mm. but keep your toe in the water. So if you love to write, if you want to write, but maybe you can't think of taking on the enormity of a novel right now, stories, poetry, journaling, just journaling, Mm. just keep that muscle warm. And you can just write about the antics of your kids or something, or just a little scenario. Scenes are always fun to do because that keeps that kind of fiction kind of writing alive. Yeah. I would just say, just don't put it on the back burner completely because you think you just have too much responsibility. Give some joy to yourself. Mm. Not, Not that raising children isn't joyous. It is. It's also everything else, but yeah, but just, you know, allow yourself time for yourself and what you love to do. That's beautiful. And now that this is complete and you've won three awards, which congratulations, that's amazing oh, and well-deserved. How are you feeling with that? Like, I mean, have you let it go? Are you going to go on, you know, do more with the book or what are you feeling? I would love to do more with the book. I would love to get it to Hollywood because I do think you're right. It's very visual. And I think it's an amazing film. It's so hard to do now in this day and age. There's so many talented people trying to sell their work or get Mm. moved. So it's, you know, a lot of it's word of mouth and some marketing and podcasts and things like that. But yeah. And I'm also hoping, I think the second book is going to be, it's very high concept. So Mm -hmm. I think I might, get a little bit more notice with that. And then I'm hoping that the glimpse will come up on its coattails, so to speak. Ah, oh, that's but we'll yes. see. We'll see. Yes. Yeah. Well, I definitely could see it. It's because it's a very visual book. It's mm-hmm. so, I mean, you really, I mean, as you go through it, it, it you can see it yeah. very, very clearly and, and so beautifully done. Thank you Thank so you. much for coming to Heart and Soul podcast and for bringing the glimpse here. I so appreciate reading it. And for those of you who have not yet read it, please go get it. It will fill your heart and soul in a way that you will be very surprised. Liz, thanks so much. much, Alan. And for those of you who are with me today, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for joining me on the Heart and Soul podcast. It's such a joy for me to be with you. I know firsthand how much easier it is to rise when you have community to laugh with, shed a few tears with, and be inspired by. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, please contact me directly at ellennewhouse.com. And while you're there, grab the special resources I have created for you to begin to take inspired action in your own life. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.